Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad you are with us once again. And I'm very excited about our Bible study conversation today. George Batty is joining me, and he spent time at the Green Oaks Church of Christ last week uh, talking about the book of Revelation. And I've invited him into the studio to talk about some of the parts of that study, specifically uh, the rapture. It's a very popular doctrine that people are familiar with, and there's a lot of uh, things in pop culture about the rapture. And so George is going to help us understand what the Bible has to say about the rapture. I invite you to have your Bible ready if you're able or if you're driving to turn up the volume a little bit, pay special attention as we look at this excellent Bible study conversation on the rapture. Let's jump right in, shall we? I'm here with my uncle, George Batty. We are related through my mom and your wife. They're sisters. I'm thankful for that family connection, and I'm grateful that you've come down to the studio. You're here to host a series of Bible studies on the book of Revelation at the Green Oaks Congregation in Arlington, Texas, and I've invited you in studio today to talk about the rapture. I'll be honest, the, the opening question that you ask caught me off guard. Uh, so the question that you begin with as you, uh, I guess, present the sermon or study with people is, uh, do you believe in the rapture? And when you offer that question and the, as you mentioned here, the, the survey that goes with it, what's the typical response you get from members of the church? Well, you know, the very first time I, I gave this study was at my home congregation in Seminole, Oklahoma, and I passed a little piece of paper out to all the church members with just one question on it. Do you believe in the rapture? Hmm. And they either could circle yes or no. Okay. And everybody answered the little paper. I took it up in a basket. And then during my sermon, I said, let's see the results of this little survey. And I began to pull out the pieces of paper and read the answers. Yes, no. And I began making two piles of paper. One person answered, I don't know. And that, <laughs> they hand wrote that in. So that that was a, a third option. Right, right. A variable. But most, the congregation was about half divided. And half of the audience said they believed in the rapture. The other half said they didn't believe in the rapture. And I think typically among our people, uh, most people have been programmed to say, no, the rapture is not taught in the Bible. It's not the correct position for a Christian to, to hold. So who's right then? Uh, whenever you get done with the survey, you know, what's the big reveal? Well, that's the purpose of this study today. And so <laughs> okay. um, we'll just kind of get into that and, and answer that as we go along. Okay. So um, kind of to start with, I'd just invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay. And when I look at that book, for example, I know it's prompted by some questions that they had. And I think where you're going to go with this is uh, what happens to Christians when they die. Uh, so I know the rapture is going to be about after death, so the Thessalonians have that type of mindset going on presently. So I'll just ask you then, what happens to Christians when they die? And how does Paul answer that in this book? Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 4. 
and I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Okay. And this is from the New King James Version. And, and this is, by the way, the, believed to be the very first book that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's not the first book of Paul that's in our Bibles, but chronologically in his life, this is believed to be the very first book he ever wrote. Right. And here's what he wrote in chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Whenever I look at that scripture, I imagine my Bible open. I'm going to be taking some... Uh, maybe putting a little notes in the margin is something to kind of organize my thoughts. Uh, what would be some important truths that anybody could kind of pull out of this scripture that they could maybe put in their margin or in a notebook as they're going through this passage? Well, there's several important truths. First of all, this passage teaches a second coming of Jesus. Okay. Uh, in, in verse 16, it says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Okay. And so he's coming again, and that corroborates or is um, predicted in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended and went back into heaven. There were two angels. Right. And the Bible says in Acts 1 and verse 9, when he had spoken these things to the disciples, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so you're, you're saying that Acts 1 and... First Thessalonians 4 are kind of working together. Right. They're corroborating that same concept of the second coming of Christ being him coming in the clouds. Right. Okay, so what else can we draw out of this passage in First Thessalonians 4? Okay, besides the fact that Jesus is coming again, this uh -huh. passage in First Thessalonians 4 teaches that when the Lord comes, the trumpet of God will sound. Okay, that's from verse 16, right? For right. the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God. Right. Okay. And so this passage that is teaching a rapture, as a matter of fact, it's, it's teaching that we'll be caught up together with him. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Okay. But it's, it's not going to be a secret rapture. It's going to be a very noisy occasion. Okay. In fact, somebody said that this is the noisiest verse in the Bible. And that does stand in contrast to the popular myth of this surprise where suddenly people are gone and nobody knew what happened. And right. Okay. So that's right. that, that one is silent. This scripture is saying it's super noisy. 
That's right. So there's no there's no secret rapture. That's a popular belief among many people. This is going to be a very noisy occasion when the Lord comes again. The first of all, one of the noises is going to be an archangel shouting. Mm. Okay, Michael, the archangel. Uh, we we discover his name in Jude verse nine. Okay, and Michael. By the way, there's only two angels out of all of the myriads and myriads of angels that are in heaven. We only know the names of two of them, as far as I know from the Bible. And Michael is one of them. He's called the archangel. Okay. And he his words are sort of pre-recorded of what he is going to shout. The First Thessalonians 4.16 says he's going to shout. What is he going to shout? I think that his words are recorded in Revelation 11, verse 15. The Bible there says that the seventh angel sounded. This is the seventh trumpet, the final trumpet. Right. And there were loud voices in heaven. Notice the loud. Uh-huh. And they're saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I think that's part of what Michael is going to shout. And I think the other part of what he's going to shout is found in Revelation 16, verse 17, where it says the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the throne of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Mm. And so Michael's and the other angels are going to shout at that last trumpet. They're going to shout, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, and it is done. Okay, so that's that's part of the great noise. And, and the second part of the great noise is just simply the loud trumpet of God. Mm-hmm. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 15, in verse 52, the apostle writes about that, and he says, in, the mo- in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Aha. Uh-huh. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. And so there's going to be angels shouting. There's going to be a trumpet sounding. It's going to be a noisy rapture, not a secret right. one. These may be kind of elementary questions, but what are your thoughts on we live on a sphere, yet all eyes will see his return? How do we all see a return in a place on a sphere? And this is not <laughs> a flat earth theory. <laughs> I don't believe we live in a flat earth. I don't know the answer <laughs> to either one of these questions. I, I don't either. My, my thought's always been, if he can make the earth, he can figure out a way that he's going to appear and we'll all see him. Yes. Okay. So other than the, the noisiness of this event of, of Christ's second coming, there the angel blast, the trumpet sound, what else is going on? Okay, well... There's a second coming of Christ. Uh, number two, this passage in First Thessalonians 4 is teaching it's going to be very noisy. It's not secret. Right. Number three, the resurrection will occur. Okay. Okay, so not just live people are being caught up, but resurrected people. Uh, are going. The people that have been dead are going to be raised back to life. In First Thessalonians 4, 16, it says the dead in Christ will rise mm. first. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a bodily resurrection. I mean, the very bodies that we have are going to be resurrected out of the graves where they were buried. Right. And the Lord taught 
this resurrection when he was on the earth. In John chapter 5, in verse 28, he said, Do not marvel at this. The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Mm. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Okay. And so there's going to be a resurrection. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 teaches there will be a rapture. Where, will, do you see, where do you see that? Because when I look at verse uh, 16 and 17, I, I don't see the word rapture anywhere. So how do you come to that conclusion? Okay, well, that's a good question. Because a lot of people say, well, they don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture is not used in the Bible. Well, it's not used in our English translation. For example, it's not in the King James or the New King James translation. Okay. However... It is in some translations of the Bible. For example, the Latin Bible has the word rapture. Okay? And the word rapture, uh, well, as a matter of fact, in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him. The words caught up, two words in English, but one verb in the Greek, harpazo. Uh Uh-huh. And this means to snatch out or away. And that's the very definition of rapture. Just look rapture up in an English dictionary, and you'll see that it means to to snatch up or to snatch away. And so Christians are snatched up off of the ground to meet the Lord in the air. That's, that's the rapture. Okay. That's the rapture. So if I could sum it up, 1 Thessalonians 4, second coming of Christ, trumpet sound, resurrection, rapture. And I think most people are going to agree with that to an extent. But I I guess the question that maybe is a good place to go next is, when he comes back, uh, are we going to meet him and then, you know, he's going to reign on earth? Or are we we going with him to heaven? Maybe that's a good place to to go next. Okay. Where where are we going to go? Well, that's that's a good question. And and you're right, Jonathan. Um, We don't believe in the popular theory of the rapture, but we should believe in the rapture, but just not the popular theory. I hope that becomes clearer as we go along. Right. But let's talk about where what's going to happen after we meet the Lord in the air. G.K. Beale, who's a very uh, intelligent, very popular writer, mm-hmm. he believes that... In ancient times, and and this is true, that in ancient times when a king would come to a town, all of the town would see the king coming and they would run out of the gates of their city and they would meet the king on the road and then they would have a parade and accompany him back into their city. Okay. And one example of this sort of happening in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 21, in verses 8 through 11. This is when Jesus came to Jerusalem, and all of the city heard that he was coming, and they were excited, and they ran out, and they met him on the road, and then they accompanied him back into their city. And they spread, you know, palm branches and their clothes and other things on the ground for for him to walk on and for his... uh, donkey that he was riding on to to walk across. Right. 
Okay. Okay. So supposedly then, this is a picture of when Jesus comes again, we will be caught up to meet him in the air, and then we will accompany him back down to the earth, sort of like we're bringing him back to our town. Right. And then the Lord will set up his earthly kingdom, a kingdom on the earth, and and we'll begin to reign with him on the earth for a thousand years or forever, however some people uh, tend to look at that. Now, the way that you fr- you're phrasing this, I mean, it kind of makes sense if you follow the pattern of it, the historical kings, the example of Jesus going into that. Just the way that you're framing some of this, it sounds like you don't agree with that. No, I I really don't. And, and there's a couple of reasons why I don't think that that's the way it's going to be. First of all, when the Lord comes again, if I understand the scriptures correctly, the earth is going to be destroyed. And so there won't be a town left for us to bring the Lord <laughs> back to. Right. Uh, and, and the passages, there's a couple of passages that indicate to me that the earth is going to be destroyed. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Mm-hmm. So just taking that passage on face value, it looks like the earth's going to be burned up. There's not going to be an earth left to come back to. Okay. What's the other scripture you use? Okay, the other passage is Revelation 6, verse 12. And there John writes, I I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who's able to stand. Mm. So this is the end of all creation as I understand it. The, The earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of it's going to be destroyed, moved out of its place, destroyed. I notice in your notes you ask a question, why is God going to destroy all of the creation like this? I thought it was a profound question. I've never thought about it before until I was kind of looking through ahead of time. I think this is an amazing connection to some scriptures. So I'll ask you, why is God going to destroy it? I think the reason he's going to destroy the stars, the sun, the moon, the earth is because these things have been worshipped by men as idols. Hmm. And God's going to destroy every idol that was ever worshipped by men. Okay. And the reason he's going to do that is because that's what he told his people in, in the days of Moses. That's what they were supposed to do. Right. When they found idols. In Deuteronomy 12 and verse 2, God told Israel, 
you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods Mm -hmm. on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall Mm -hmm. cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And so since they were told, burn all the idols, when I read in the New Testament where the earth is going to be burned up, it looks to me like that God is going to destroy the earth, which has been worshipped by some as an idol. He's going to burn it up with fire, and there's not going to be this refurbished earth that so many people believe in. Uh, Rather, the earth is going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up if I understand these passages correctly. It reminds me in Romans chapter 1 what the creation was intended to do and the rebellion of man to where they started to serve the created instead of the creator. I think that's a good connection that you've made to Deuteronomy chapter 12. But you mentioned there was two reasons that you didn't think that Jesus was coming back to earth. First, the earth is going to be destroyed. What's the second reason? Yeah, the second reason is because Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. In John 14 and verse 1, and this is a passage that really is pretty popular. People know this um, pretty well because it's used very often at funerals. Right. Okay. And there Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Mm -hmm. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. So it looks to me like this passage saying the Lord went away from the earth to prepare a future home for his people. And if he went away from the earth to do that, then the future home of his people is not this earth. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And he says, if you'll notice, he says, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. And so instead of the citizens of the city going out of the city to meet their king and then accompany him back to their city, Uh it looks to me like this passage is saying the, the king is coming and he's going to take us away to his city, which is not the earth. So that's, that's the way it looks to me. So if I were to summarize this first, uh, I guess, big concept of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, you've talked about how it's going to happen on the last day of history. Uh, it's the noisiest day in history, a resurrection of all people in history. The saved are snatched up. I like that. I like, I guess, feeling empowered about the word of what we get the rapture from. Snatched up to meet the Lord in the air, and we're taken to a place that Jesus has gone to prepare. Right. That's not this earth. Well, then what exactly are we opposed to? If if we oppose the rapture, you know, so many, well, we don't believe in the rapture, it's a false doctrine. What exactly are we opposed to? Right. 
we're opposed to the popular theory about the rapture. That's okay. that's what we ought to be opposed to. What does that mean? So, well, there there's two basic views of the rapture. Now, there are some variations of these two, but the the two basic views are a are called first. A- well, we're going to pause it right there, and I really want to encourage you to come back next week. You've got to hear the second part of this podcast if you want to know what the Bible has to say about the rapture. And for those of you who are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you are listening to this episode on its release date, this weekend, George will be back at the Green Oaks Church of Christ to continue doing some Bible studies through the book of Revelation. You can find out information on their website. Just Google search Green Oaks Church of Christ, Arlington, Texas. And I'll put some info on my website as well. So if you're able to get there and look at this podcast via pureandsimplebible.com, I'll try to have some information for that. It is a fantastic series of studies, and I really would encourage anyone in the area to get out to it. If you're not able to make it, I know that Green Oaks has it on their website, the studies that you can uh, listen to. Matthew Barnes also has them available from his website, thechristianrepository.com. And you can look at some videos of those studies as well. Great opportunity. I really want to encourage you to take advantage of it. So uh, go there. Also go to pureandsimplebible.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. It really helps me know if this ministry is helpful to you. And always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me. And-